Greetings, Amigops, and Top Teners everywhere. This is Mike from Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I am joined this week, as I am every week, by our Detroit Tiger-hatted co-host, Kyle. It is a Saturday. He looks very relaxed and happy. Kyle and I are joined this week by our old friend and Kyle's former co-worker and your old friend from the Time Travel Films podcast, Daniel. Daniel is here this week to talk to us about a particular topic. I don't know what it is, and I don't think Kyle knows what it is. Maybe Kyle does. We are going to discuss that topic. We are going to debate it vigorously, rank it, re-rank it, and then by the end of a hopefully compact episode, we will have a definitive top 10 list of that thing. So, Daniel, what are we talking about this week? Hey, Mike. Hey, Kyle. It's it's great to be back. I really have been looking forward to this. Um, you know, last time, yeah, I did talk about time travel movies, and, and I felt like that was a little more you know, hard to debate. I did want to come back with something that maybe had a little bit more debate and robust discussion. And so this time I came back with top 10 sidekicks. Oh, I was I was going to say, I love that you're going to introduce some debate because I think Kyle and I have been lacking the debating recently. So this is good to get some debate. And the other level is that this is a list that even if Kyle and I haven't spoken this aloud, this is like a great idea we've been wanting to do. So I'm glad we've got an expert to help us with it. Well, I don't know about expert, but, you know, it is something that I, I think you could probably uh, layer some psychology on this. I, I've i always been drawn <laughs> to uh, to sidekicks. Um, like, I, you know, it's like when you play Street Fighter, I go for Ken, not Rue. You know, when I play <laughs> Mario Brothers, I go for Luigi, not Mario. I, you know, there's probably some psychology there. But I mean, I think that there's a cool thing about sidekicks, which is, like they're the entree and, you know, I know Mike, you are, you know, big into literature, but they're the, you know, to me, they're the entree into the character, the main character or the hero of the story, because, you know, you, you may not relate to the hero. You, you know, he may be seen, you know, up on a pedestal and, and unattainable, but you can relate to the sidekick and the sidekick helps you to sympathize and understand some of the hero's faults more and kind of pulls you into the story even deeper. So I think that that's why sidekicks can be, you know, more interesting than, you know, the heroes themselves. So um, I did go and and try to not only to try to make some sense of this, you know, I, I kind of looked at both, gave a little bit of a ranking to help me organize this to both the, the sidekick um, and, and also to who they are sidekicking for um, so that, you know, they both play into how, how good a sidekick they are, not just the, you know, sidekick standing on their own, but also who are they supporting? That's, I think that's important. I guess my, my first question is like, how exactly you define a sidekick? Cause I can think of like some duos or tandems where like the relationship is like closer to, even like they're more partners than like hero versus sidekick. So I'd be curious to see how you kind of like parse through like what exactly makes somebody a sidekick. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's nobody on here that's really um, where there's much gray area, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. um, I think most of them are pretty clear cut. Um, but yeah, okay. you raise a good point that there are some where, you know, the, or it's, it's more parallel and, and in, in equal status, or closer to, but these are all pretty, um, you know, the, and it's not to say that the sidekick has not gone on to do amazing things on their own later, but. Let, let me ask you this. How do you feel about an evil assistant? Oh, I think top the, the, my number 10, you'll, you'll see right away that. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> it's not just heroes, you know, it's okay. Good. Uh, good. So should I, is that a good entree? Should I go straight into a my perfect segue? Excellent. Please do. So in, in, in uh, number 10 on my list, I've got Harley Quinn. And, and I think some of this that, you know, I know from listening to other podcasts, you know, some critique as, as far as making sure that, you know, women make the list. Um, so I was being, <laughs> being thoughtful to, to make sure of that, but when it really came down to it, both Harley Quinn and the Joker rank really high, you know, the Joker's just, I mean, he's scary, but he's he's a cool character, and um, and Harley Quinn balances him in a unique way and brings out a different side of him in a unique way. So, that was my number ten. I love that pick. Has it? Has anybody here seen Birds of Prey? I have not yet. 
I want it. Yeah, neither no. do I. Just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, I I'd be curious because I think that's where she would get the most um most chops is like a solo kind of act like you're describing how some of these characters have gone on to do bigger and better things but um she's an interesting sidekick because like at least for me i can't think of off the top of my head many like cross um like cross gender sidekicks and ones that have like the kind of romantic intimations that this pair does yeah it is you know they traditionally it's you know the the boy wonder kind of support, not not the cross <laughs> right. So that's a good point. I like that. She's great because she brings out a, a certain flavor of the Joker. Like one of the cool things about comic book characters and the Joker in particular is that they get so many different iterations. And so you get kind of different versions of the same character. And I love the Heath Ledger sort of purely chaotic version of the Joker, but I also love the clown prince of crime version. And I think that the clown prince with Harley Quinn version, it's really complimentary. Like she wouldn't work with Heath Ledger, but she works so well with that particular version of the Joker. And they're just, they're awesome together. And she's like her own backstory is actually really well fleshed out and really interesting. The way she gets sort of pulled into her life. Um, through her work as a, a psychiatrist at Arkham. Like, it's just, she's got a great backstory. She really compliments the main character. I think she sort of checks the big boxes, which is that she's great on her own, but also really enhances the main the main dish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that, yeah, so that was my number 10. Um, number nine is is a, a personal favorite of mine, but less, you know, less widely known might get, might get booted when we start debating this, but um, it's uh, Arthur from The Tick. Um, and I think he ranked high for me. If you guys are familiar, I mean, the, there's been the cartoon, there's been two TV shows. It's, it's, there's the comic book series, but you know, Arthur is like the most reluctant hero ever. He's just kind of almost adverse. You know, they, at one point they come up with their, their, uh, their victory calls and, you know, the the tick is weird and his is spoon and arthur's is <laughs> is not in the face <laughs> so so when they go into battle you know he he's not in the face you know so it's <laughs> and, and so i mean there's something very relatable about that um and so he he definitely you know popped up onto the top of my list i i'll admit i've never consumed any tick content ever so i have no idea who you're talking about but i wish i did there was a really good fox animated series and it was when i was in college which is dating me um and then the amazon series that came out like last year they had two seasons of it was pretty good they they went darker which is a weird you know it's it's weird to do um but there was still it still had its moments i'm glad to have gotten to know you because you sort of are a torchbearer for kyle and me (laughs) as nerds of a newer generation <laughs> because we don't ha- like i i am aware of the tick's existence but have not like kyle consumed any tick material but your endorsement is carries you know a lot of weight for me so i'm i will definitely be exploring particularly if you weren't you know you think one of the characters warrants inclusion on such a prestigious list yeah it's a it's it, you know it's it was ahead of its time in terms of making fun of superheroes and now yeah. in this current day and age it just i think it does pretty well I'll I'll add on to that and just say that it's fun because like obviously we have lots of people on this podcast that know more than we do about lots of things, but it's rare for us to interact with people that know more than we do about like movies and TV and like this particular realm of pop culture. So it's fun to get schooled by you um, in terms of both sidekicks and time travel because all the things that I didn't know about time travel movies that I do know now, all the ones <laughs> I've watched have been fucking incredible. So totally agreed. Cool. Well, so then that goes on to, takes us to eight, uh, for eight. I I've gone with Andy Richter from the Conan O'Brien show. That's a great <laughs> pick. Andy Richter is criminally underrated. He is. Well, and the funny thing is if like I did some research, you know, I looked at, you know, lists online and Ed, mm-hmm. Ed McMahon was up high on a lot of lists as far as best sidekicks but i i mean i don't relate to ed mcmahon that's you know before my time and you (laughs) know and and i was never like a big johnny carson fan but i've always loved conan o'brien and i loved andy richter uh he had like he's had some weird like short-lived tv shows every once in a while you know he's funny 
you know, funny as hell on his own right. And he's, you know, he's, I think, critical to Conan's success. So that's where I just felt like he, he, he ended up warranting some inclusion. Totally agreed. Isn't he in... Is he in Arrested Development? Doesn't he have like some weird storyline on on a popular TV show where there's like a twin of Andy Richter involved? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen that one. There might be Kyle. What am I? Ta- what am- I'm not making this up, am I? It doesn't sound like Arrested Development, but I did. I never finished that show the last season, so it's possible. All right, I'll, I'll do a little bit of research there's, here. There's internet research. No, yes, it is. Okay, I didn't make this up. It is Arrested Development. It is revealed that Andy is a member of identical quintuplets that all have different <laughs> personalities. <laughs> a reference to Andy Richter's real-life short-lived sitcom, Quintuplets. <laughs> there you go. Interesting. Okay. So, just adding to the myth of, of Andy Richter. Fair enough. I love how they do the camera work on that show where, like, like usually it's a separate camera. I think that's just on him and they just kind of like pan to him very quickly <laughs> and he kind of like leans over and talks into the mic. It's a very well orchestrated bit that <laughs> thankfully is recurring. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he he definitely fulfills the really important role of not just like having his own personality but really complimenting and bringing out the best in sort of the superhero in Conan. Like he's he's just a great foil to Conan. Yeah, absolutely. I also like that you've you've blown my mind and I just like for some reason assumed we were talking about fictional sidekicks and this is yeah. an excellent example of a real life superhero sidekick combo. Yeah. 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 You know, trying to jazz it up, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, this is good because Kyle and I, I think when we can manage to do that, we're always really proud of ourselves. <laughs> like when we did like, a, you know, fictional dogs and we've got like you know, commercial dogs and, and real dogs and all that kind of, or, or you know, kind of um, based on real life dogs. Like that's, that's what we like. So this is a huge, a huge bonus for us. Awesome. Well, I don't know, Kyle, I don't know if you noticed that. Did, did a fourth person drop in like, you know, squeeze into our Google Hangout here? I, oh, I, oh, I, I, I think, did. I think I saw His Kev with a Cassia tone over in the corner there, ready to drop some stinky beats. <laughs> Wow. Get up That's a beautiful segue. <laughs> beautifully done. Well, thank you. Although I now I want to just say I'm I'm like having second thoughts about our gentle teasing of Kevin because I just didn't know Kevin was such a star. <laughs> I thought he was kind of a bum like us. I had no idea. Is he he's he's got a a a, a, a bounty of work out there? Oh, oh my god. So you Daniel, do yourself a favor when we're done here and Google him because <laughs> I don't know what prompted this. I think Cameron made some sort of offhanded comment. He has a very well-populated Wikipedia page. Oh, wow. And there is a documentary uh, about him called like open source or like free content or something. Right, Kyle? Yeah, I I must have not done a good job. I knew this going into this whole thing when I chose his music, but he's a yeah. legend, legend in the world of Creative Commons uh, music. So where does he make his money? I think he he's done a lot of work for actually like he does a lot of video game. Um, yeah, video game is a big thing. I think that's where he kind of makes his bread and butter. But gotcha. Yeah. Well, so with that though, I mean that takes us to our non-top yeah. three, right? Yes, it does. Okay, sure good. Does. I'm, I'm making sure I'm on point here. So I, I kind of thought of this first as like, well, you know, you could have really shitty sidekicks or really annoying sidekicks you know, and, and just, you know, Jar Jar Binks and the world of, <laughs> you know, d- cloying Disney sidekicks. But I decided to go on a different route and, and go with sidekicks that betray, you know. Oh, so betrayals oh. here. So I like that. So the three two Daniel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And that's one I skipped over, so that might, you know. Yeah, but, Brutus. <laughs> but Brutus. the but the three that I brought, um, first you got you got Lando Calrissian. I mean, he ends up yeah. redeeming himself, but you know that is it's and it's quite a betrayal to Han Solo. A, a really like <laughs> maybe an a overlooked gigantic betrayal because had things turned out somewhat differently. History is not smiling so kindly upon Lando. No, no, not at all. I mean, 
you know, he was squeezed <laughs> by the empire. That's kind of tough. Like, you know, yeah. you don't want to lose everything you, you, you earned or stole, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, that's a tough position to be in, but still, you know, it was, it's, it's pretty crappy. Um, so second, I've got Peter Pettigrew and I, I know you guys are with, Ooh, a, oh, yeah. with me on that one. <laughs> um, Fucking Wormtail. They should know. The guy was the Wormtail. <laughs> that is that is a really good point. <laughs> and then and then my rounding out the three, uh, I went to the master Shakespeare and I went with Iago from Othello. Ah, yeah. uh, dick. Those are great picks. <laughs> total, yeah. I don't know if anybody else has you know made that claim, but yeah, Iago is a total dick. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kyle have... is the first person to put it so succinctly. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen O, the modern high school remake of Othello? Was um, God, what's who was in that? It was is the, it Mackay Pfeiffer? Yeah, is, I don't I think so. And Julia Stiles? Yeah, yes, it is. It's Mackay Pfeiffer, Julia Stiles, and Josh Hartnett. And wait a second, this can't be real. This can't, hold on. It was directed by Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> wow, what? how about that? <laughs> Holy crap! In between having that's... in between having small roles in Coen Brothers movies, he yeah, that's why this is fascinating. This was hold on, let me make sure I get the timing right here. So this is right before he stars as Doctor Pendansky. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Um, I might have anyways, to go back that's... to see that. Um, I, I don't. I, ex- I, I, I kind of want to go back just to see if somebody calls him a dick. <laughs> I think if, so, so if it happens, Josh Hartnett was Iago. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I can see him like making him look real shady and. Yeah, he yeah. was. He he needed more dickish roles back in the day. I feel like he got like they tried to make him into a heartthrob. He'd have been better as a villain. He was really good. Did you? Um, what was the? Uh, Shoot, now it's dropping out of my head. But the the um, the Showtime series with all the different um, gothic characters, um, like related to like Dracula and Frankenstein. Why can't I think of what that was? Oh, well, I don't know. There was a Showtime series that was trying to compete with, uh, you know, with Game of Thrones and try to get them on the map. Penny Dreadful. Yes, Penny Dreadful. So yeah. he's he's really good in that. He is like he ends up being one of the main stars of that and he's kind of like this buffalo bill like goes around doing you know he's like an old cowboy like a cowboy and does oh like show like shooting I you thought, know, like i thought you meant buffalo bill like no the silence of the lambs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no no like true buffalo bill cody like gotcha, okay. like he had he had like a you know like a, a horseback riding and gun shooting show and um, but then you start to get that he's got a he's got more of a background and it's revealed and that one if you ever watch it it's only like three seasons it's actually pretty good anyway <laughs> n- neither here nor there now I got to get back to okay so that takes us to number seven right yes, um, sir. yeah this one kind of shot wait I say so, I'm sorry can I just throw one more on that list real quick yeah, I want to sure. put Judas up there like, yeah. let's just put Judas Iscariot <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> that one's for you Dylan you're welcome. <laughs> Tough look for my guy, Judas Iscariot. <laughs> yeah, tough one. <laughs> I, I'm going to go deep again for just a second, but um, but have you, you ever seen Passion of the Christ, the Martin Scorsese? Uh, yeah. So isn't isn't Judas played by Harvey Keitel? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Last Temptation of Christ, right? Oh, Last Temptation. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Passion of the Christ was the Mel Gibson one. Yeah, yes. Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, just the idea of casting... Harvey Keitel as Judas. <laughs> I gotta the be honest, the himself. idea of casting Harvey Keitel as anything is always a little bit of a leap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, so number, yes. so end of number seven. Number seven. This kind of popped up pretty, pretty last minute as I was kind of going through and seeing if I missed anybody. But it is it's it's Ned Leeds from the new Spider-Man movies, Homecoming and Far From Home. Oh yes, I was. I was I have a person on my side list here that I'm thinking about that fills a similar role to Ned. Yeah. And it, it there's there's a lot of overlap between sidekicks and our guys in the chair yeah. like thing that Ned coins in yeah. in Spider-Man. Exactly. But he's yeah. just he's so likable, he's so friendly, he's you know, he's so all in to just be, you know, that loyal best friend who wants nothing but 
his, you know, his hero friend to succeed. And, you know, and, and Tom Holland as Spider-Man is so likable too. So the two of them and the chemistry they have is just, it makes it a good, good series. And it's just, I've never thought of like, when I go back, you never think of Spider-Man as having a sidekick. You think of Batman and Jimmy Olsen for Superman and whatever the case may be, but traditionally Spider-Man hasn't. And then I'm like, wait, what am I thinking about? The last two movies have created the perfect sidekick for him. Of all of the incredible decisions they've made with this new iteration of Spider-Man, the decision to bail on Harry Osborn and insert Ned as the best friend has been among the best they've done. Because you're right, he functions... like The fact that he knows that Peter is Spider-Man and doesn't hate him for it makes for such great chemistry and narrative things that they couldn't ever do with Harry in the other series that they've done. I think this is a great choice. Well, I think it's funny. You've both touched on exactly what I was going to say I love about him. And I, I it's funny, I completely forgot Harry Osborn existed because the point I was going to make is that with these sidekick characters and not just for Ned, but like all of them, there's sort of the option to have a, an implicit rivalry or to have sort of total, uh, you know, unconditional support. And either can be a good decision, but you kind of have to go with it. And I think especially because the the latest Spider-Man iteration is really leaning into the teenage angle, like since this is such a teenage angle, I think it would have been really tempting to have sort of an angsty relationship between the two of them. And I'm sure they could have done it well, but I'm I'm very glad that they didn't do that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Good deal. Yeah, great pick. That's I wouldn't have thought of that, but that's a really great one. It, it came to me late in the process, so I appreciate it. Um, so then that takes us to six, and six is definitely one where uh, I would say the sidekick is not as relatable as other ones on the list, but the hero is so damn charming that you know it, that those points kind of pulled it up into the list. So it's it's none other than our furry friend Chewbacca, sidekick to Han Solo. Um, you know. I think, you know, Chewie, you assign some personality. I kind of like the moment in, in Force Awakens where he's getting bandaged up by the nurse and, and she's kind of, kind of uh, just treating him like a big softy, you know, at heart. I think there's moments where they kind of give him in the movies a moment, but, you know, a lot of it's come out of the side material. So, but, you know, he's, you don't get a whole vibe for the character and personality. But, you know, he's loyal. He's there for Han Solo. Han Solo's damn cool. What can he do? He's got to make yeah. the list. <laughs> the amount of love he has for Han Solo and just the total unconditional nature of it is really sweet. I want to just note, I, I totally agree with Chewbacca's inclusion on this list, as long as we pretend that the movie Solo didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> because there was some weird shit going on with Chewbacca in that movie. <laughs> did, they, did, they, did they actually make his family canon in the solo movie like make a reference to it i don't remember i haven't seen solo since i saw it in theaters yeah didn't he eat a person though there was some weird like he's eating he humans thing when yeah. he when han gets thrown into the pit with him yeah. he's like on a pile of human bones <laughs> yeah <laughs> but which is just I, weird yeah i will say chewbacca occupies a pretty niche space that i love in these kinds of movies in that pretty much all of the characterization that's done of him is either nonverbal or verbal, but through somebody else. So it's like, it's a, it's a trope that's been replicated with other pretty cool combinations that maybe we'll talk about later. But like I'm, we just, and I have been starting to watch star Wars with some success. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) what's so fun about Chewbacca is that like, you have to, get what he's saying through right han where he'll say like no not that this and like what are you talking about that's a terrible idea and like at the time i think that was relatively fresh um but that's one thing i really like about chewbacca it's gotta be hard to write for well because you know if you're just saying you know how often in a conversation do you just repeat back to somebody what they exactly said but i think it's easy to fall into that trap when you're writing for a character like that I think an interesting thing, though, is the movie does the movies, the best of them, especially does do such a nice job um, writing for probably, I guess, Han is probably more accurately like they do such a nice job that you can actually once you kind of get to know Chewbacca, 
it actually does feel like you know what he's trying to say. Yeah. Part of that is because you've seen the movie 10 times, but it also <laughs> sort of feels like they do a nice job of setting up the situation so you can kind of put yourself in Han's shoes yeah. and be like, oh, I know what he's saying. For sure. So then that takes us to number five. Um, I don't know if this is something you guys ever got into, but I've got uh, Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So early Joss Whedon work um, before he went on to all his Avengers fame. But, um, you know, Buffy, obviously Vampire Slayer. Willow becomes a witch over the series and, and ends up complimenting her in a lot of ways. But she's, again, part of the kind of the loyal set of friends um, that, you know, are there for support and comic relief and backing them up. So she made, she made the list for me. I, so I would like your official recommendation is, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer something worth going back for? Because all the people in my life that like Buffy, I respect their opinions. I just have never like taken the time to do it, but obviously people really love it. Yeah. I mean, it was a series that I got into, um, you know, and, and my wife and I started watching and, you know, we, it was already probably four seasons in and we went back and got caught up. And, um, I, I mean, I just have nothing but respect for Joss Whedon. And I think he's one of those writers out there who, um, I've heard him say is like, you got to give the audience what they need, not necessarily what they want. And so he does a good job of, you know, it's not just plot twists to be twisty, you know, it's not just killing off a character to like have the shock value of it it's it fits so well into the story and and they you know they're you've gotten attached to characters and they do such a good job of it and so when something bad happens and it has repercussions and meaning like it's just it's good in that way um so it i've we liked it a lot and you know have stuck with firefly and other you know other joss whedon shows but um yeah i mean i'd recommend it it's uh, i mean there's a lot of it so that's the tough thing (laughs) I don't know if you've got that much time on your hands. <laughs> well, now is the time. I do now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But sorry, I can't contribute in any other meeting. No, that's fair. That's this, fair. We can, can, we can keep no, moving. This is, this is another good example of, of some pop culture that Kyle and I need to consume. Yeah. And, we and can, we're glad to hear your, your positive feelings. No, appreciate it. And we can keep moving so that we have more time for debate, too. So that's not a bad thing. <laughs> okay. Because um, I'll be interested to see what you guys add. Uh, so number four, um, I've got Hermione Granger. Again, there was, you know, between Hermione and Ron, you know, you got to make a pick. I, you know, trying to balance out the list a bit. And, you know, to me as, as an entree, I think I'm, I feel like I'm maybe a little bit more of a Hermione than a Ron anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little nerdier, I guess. Um, but, you know, it, she's, you know, obviously as fans of the books, you know, you guys know, I mean, it's like. Harry could never do what he needed to do without having his support team. Um, and they're, they're, they're that entree into the, into the whole discussion. You know, I the think whole- there's an implicit question here though, that I'm curious that I'd like to hear Kyle's thoughts on this because the question I think is, is Hermione a companion or a sidekick? And I would ask the same question about Ron. Cause my, and this is maybe just a little bit of stereotyping of sort of the types of characters they are. But my brain sort of looks at Ron as a sidekick and Hermione as a um, like a companion. I, I know that that's like a, a blurry distinction, but that's sort of the way I think about it. Yeah, they occupy kind of a, a, a nebulous space. <laughs> and, and like at some points in the book, like you could argue that Harry is Hermione's sidekick, like especially in <laughs> and I. Well, I know how much you love Prisoner of Azkaban because um, we talked about it. And like the last third of that book for the most part, like it's Hermione's show. Yeah. True. That's a great um, point. But I, I don't know. It's, it's blurry. Um, and I think a lot of people would, would contest the, cause I think, I think the term sidekick has like an implication of inferiority to it. And yeah. I don't think it necessarily has to, but <laughs> the reason I think that we're more comfortable putting Ron in that space is because he's so clearly an inferior wizard to Hermione. <laughs> but, <laughs> But I, I think it's I, I think for the purposes of our, our list here, as long as it's extremely clear that we're not implying in yes. any way that yeah. Hermione's abilities are are less than Harry's in terms of wh- witching prowess, I think it's it's fair to put her in this in this camp. 
Hermione just always brings out the best in Harry in a way that Ron doesn't always. <laughs> Ron often brings out the worst in Harry, either by encouraging him to behave less than or by like directly just sort of, you know, causing fights with him. But the thing about Hermione, it's funny. Somebody I just saw the other day uh, posted the the meme of um, Harry saying, but I am the chosen one. And it's just such a great. Ex- that's like one of my favorite exchanges is Hermione trying to sort of talk through the implications of Harry's new fame to him in Half-Blood Prince and him just totally not getting it. Because if I'm remembering correctly, Ron is sort of encouraging him to use the Chosen One label to like get girls. And it is a great example of what a better sidekick compliment, you know, companion Hermione is for Harry at at most times. And, and I think they're... Their relationship, especially in the film version, I think, was really portrayed so well in Deathly Hallows, uh, especially the part one film, where it really is just the two of them for, you know, 45 minutes of the movie. Yeah. I think that's when, like, her value uh, in the movie, like, really kind of specifically in the movie franchise, comes through the best. It's where you see exactly how the two of them complement each other and the areas of magic she understands that he doesn't. Like, Harry is an incredibly, you know, inherently powerful wizard who has all of these great qualities, but like, he doesn't know Hominem Revelio. He doesn't know all of those, you know, uh, those protective jinxes that she uses to keep them hidden. Right. She, he doesn't know where to take them when they go to the Forest of Dean. Like, he needs her skill set. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh, she's the shit. <laughs> she is. <laughs> so that was number four. So uh, then we do... Uh, Tip- yeah, typically we do honorable mentions. Yeah. So, I I mean, these might give away some that don't didn't make it to the top three, but I think there'll be some debate anyway. So, you know, I did mention them at the beginning, but they didn't make the list. Um, uh, Luigi, you know, just not, <laughs> not enough personality there to really make the list. I I disagree, but I uh, we can save that for later. Yep, exactly. like you guys have seen the live action film, right? I just want to confirm. <laughs> yeah. John Leguizamo. Is oh that? yeah. <laughs> um, I've got I've got Spock um, from Star Trek. I just never been as much of a Trekkie, so but I figured he needed to make the list. Here's the one that might be a shocker. Um, I do have Robin on this list. He did not make the the list. Uh, wow. Batman got a big high score, but Robin didn't necessarily. So, well, I think I think Robin has a little bit of he he runs into almost the exact opposite problem of Harley Quinn, which is that his foil is pretty static. Like Batman, pretty much is the same, and they basically just lever up or down the level of pathos and pain in his life. And so there's not as much of an opportunity for the the Robin character to like play off different characters. And so they've cycled through all of these different versions of Robin to try to find the right one. And I think you kind of have this sort of fundamental problem where no matter how you spin it, you have this guy who clearly prefers isolation working with this person who's just like, hey, look at me. And it just it just doesn't totally work. It's just hard to find the right the right balance well and it usually results in robin trying to get out from under the yeah the shadow of it and and be his own person and get killed yeah (laughs) and then you get nightwing and there's yeah (laughs) so i also had buzz lightyear as much as i like that franchise i i don't relate to buzz i'm if anything (laughs) i'm if anything i'm more of a woody so you know just (laughs) that's kind of the same with the next one i had dory from Finding Nemo, and again, you know, as a as a parent, I'm probably more of a Marlin. <laughs> so, <laughs> when you said Dory, for some reason, my brain heard Dora, and then I thought Boots. Yeah, so, yeah. We'll throw that one out there. Boots. <laughs> well, Boots is probably number two or three on the actual. List. <laughs> That's a good don't, point. I didn't mean to spoil that. Yeah, don't, don't please, spoil it. Please don't spoil it. Um, <laughs> I will, I just want to say Dory really is fantastic. There's another animated sidekick who I don't want to say because you may actually have this character up there, but. Dory is like a really good encapsulation of the zany cartoon sidekick. Yeah. She's 
extremely zany and adds a ton to the movie. Yeah. So I, I'm like a huge Dory fan. Yeah. And I like that type. Yeah. Well, you can make the argument when we re, re, reshape the list. I had uh, both El- Elaine Bennis and George Costanza. <laughs> this was a question like, I, it's really hard to say whether Jerry has a sidekick and if he does, who it is. Because yeah. as tough. the show progresses, their roles kind of all shift. And they sort of have different subgroupings that interact a lot. Like early on, it's Jerry and George. I think they probably envisioned the show as the Jerry and George show. Yeah. As time goes on, there's a lot more Jerry and Kramer. Sure. And there's also like Elaine and George as a pairing becomes more prominent. Yeah. I think this pro- this show sort of suffers from the problem that it's such a strong ensemble that I just, I don't know how you pick a sidekick. Well, and then the other problem is the way I kind of scored and picked um, they're kind of all assholes, so you know they oh, didn't. Make you know they didn't. That's what makes them so great. Yeah, but it didn't make them rank high on my list. Um, <laughs> the the next assemblage that I've got as as near misses, uh, I've got uh, Garfunkel, Oates, Ridgely, <laughs> like the the musical ones, and yeah. and I'll always have a soft spot for for Oates because I my dad used to take me to a, a, a racetrack in Wisconsin when we were kids, when I was a kid growing up. And they had a lot of um, kind of semi-famous people who ra- raced cars oh, on the no. side. And oh my God. so like Walter Payton raced. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Bruce Jenner um, and, and John Oates. And I actually met oh John God. Oates and got a, a, an autograph from him when I was in like, Whoa. you know, fourth grade or something. And it was like... <laughs> the biggest deal because it's like you know mm-hmm. you, you might meet a sports player that you know when growing up in milwaukee i'd you know you would i'd get autographs from a, a brewer here and there but <laughs> but usually at a game you know like going up to the to the railing but you know to meet somebody who was known nationally as a musician it was it was a big deal so i've got a soft spot for john oates <laughs> oh that's great wow I also have uh, Tinkerbell on the list. Again, you know, good sidekick, but, you know, and I kind of skipped a lot of the Disney ones, to be honest with you. Well, so. can I, in the Tinkerbell vein, I want to put Gazoo on there as an honorable <laughs> mention. I love Gazoo. Well, I do have uh, Barney Rubble on the list, okay. too. And, nice. And, and kind of I comboed Barney Rubble and, and Ralph Cramden. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're the same. They're the same. Um you know, knowing your literature background, Mike, I had to have Sancho Panza on the list somewhere. Um, I, will, I will say I actually have not read Don Quixote, but I've had that's been on. Um, Kyle and I talk a lot about book length, and that one is just brutally intimidating. <laughs> I tried to get it on uh, Libby or one of those audio apps because I'm like, you know what? I really want to listen to it. I've heard from people I trust that it's one of those readable books. It's like actually really good. Yeah. And uh I ordered it in Spanish. Oh, so, wow. I didn't. <laughs> no, no, that was an accident. No. <laughs> no, no, no. This was not like me listening and being like, oh, bueno. No, I, <laughs> I ordered it and then gave it back because I accidentally got in Spanish. <laughs> and then the final uh, on this list that I just added, uh, I kind of knew you guys were SpongeBob people from listening to previous shows. So I had to have Patrick, but he didn't make my list, but I can see where he may, may, uh, have some some fights for inclusion <laughs> kyle for the sake of staying brothers-in-law with ian might have to fight for that one <laughs> yeah if i don't fight for patrick ian's not gonna <laughs> ian's gonna stop playing fortnite with me for sure <laughs> uh, i think i mean patrick is very likable i yeah i definitely <laughs> i definitely root for him <laughs> um okay so should i get to my final three please yeah okay this was a, these are all really tight in there and, and hard to kind of hash out who belongs where. But number three, I've got Dr. Watson. Yeah. Just classic in terms of sidekick, you know, in terms of you can't relate to the hero. He's, he's kind of on a whole nother, operating on a whole nother level, you know, whereas Dr. Watson you can relate to. And then through him, you realize that, you know, all of Sherlock Holmes's faults. <laughs> well, I would I would argue that so we've kind of talked about like the within the stories themselves for the most part, which I think is a good way to address this list. But I do just want to say like from a a meta textual point of view, 
Uh, you like that? Go back to my English day. Yeah, I said it. I said <laughs> oh. it. I said it. Ding, ding, ding. Um, no, but from like from a, a, a cultural point of view, uh, he, this is like an incredibly important character, like wildly important character, because I think it was a it was a, a really good archetype for a lot of characters to come that you you make this character who's totally unrelatable and remote. And you're like, OK, I really want to examine this character, but what the hell is my way in? Right. And Dr. Watson is such a perfect way into Sherlock Holmes. And Dr. Watson has been replicated time and time and time again in film, television, books, um, really successfully. Like, yeah. Dr. Watson is a great device. It It's used because it really works. And Absolutely. it allows you to, to look at characters who otherwise just kind of wouldn't work. Right. And it was tough not to put that almost at number one for that reason, because he, yeah. he really is. But he, in my list, he got beat. We'll see where he comes out at the end of the day. I think I want to I want to linger on Dr. Watson for one more second, because I think Dr. Watson benefits from the various iterations, because depending on who you ask and what their like first interaction with Sherlock Holmes is, you're going to get kind of different views. So people who watch like the Basil Rathbone version from the 40s (laughs) think he's like a bumbling oaf. And then you have the people who read the books He's not an idiot. He's like not even sort of an idiot in the books. He's clearly not on Sherlock's level. Right. Um, but he's an extremely capable doctor and veteran of the Afghan war. And I think the show that the recent Sherlock adaptation on BBC is a really good encapsulation of sort of that original spirit of Watson. Yeah. But I do think either version actually works pretty well. Like I think the bumbling stupid Watson is actually pretty fun too. <laughs> I do. I do like the the newer version, the the yeah. BBC series. He was, you know, that characterization was pretty awesome to me. So that takes us to number two. Number two, I have uh, Cameron Fry, sidekick to Ferris Bueller. Yes. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of this. Great pick. I, you know, it it actually kind of surprised me when I when I put the the scores together that it came up this high. But then I thought about it, and it's like I love Cameron. I relate to Cameron, oh. you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, but then Ferris, you know, he's, he's cool. He's awesome too. So it's kind of, they both got, he's good. a righteous dude. He is a righteous dude. So they both, they get all love good. him. <laughs> Who, wait, Kyle, who specifically loves him? <laughs> the dicks, the sluts, <laughs> motorheads, <laughs> jocks, <laughs> all, all of them. This movie just doesn't work without Cameron. Like, like without Cameron, Ferris is kind of a, punk like everyone (laughs) likes him and he like knows how to make people like him and he you know he knows everybody and he likes to have fun and he's a rapscallion but through the lens of cameron we see that he actually really cares about his friend and has some thoughtful kind of he's like he's a thoughtful kid and he thinks about his future as it relates to cameron (laughs) like he it's the i think this is kind of the like him and Watson both obviously makes sense that they're so high on the list because they're such necessary lenses into the, your primary character. Yeah. Um, but also just from an entertainment standpoint, like <laughs> the movie doesn't work without Cameron because he's hilarious. Yeah. And Kyle, you're so right. I hadn't even, I had this hadn't really crossed my mind, but like if, if not for Cameron Ferris is just doing what he said, like how could I be expected to go to school on a day like this? But I think, it's very believable that he's doing this at least 50% for Cameron. Right. And I think that's, that's incredibly important because you're like, it really humanizes Ferris, not just as a kid who wants to skip school, but as somebody who's genuinely concerned for his depressed friend. Well, and, and you, he, Cameron's really the only one with any kind of character arc in growth. Yeah. You know, right. You would argue that Ferris doesn't end the day any different than he started the day. <laughs> um, but, but Cameron, grows and and learns something so without him yeah you you miss all that yeah cameron is minutes after the conclusion of this movie going to have a life altering (laughs) confrontation with his old man yeah oh yeah um you cannot say the same for ferris i guess the only other person with any kind of growth in this movie is um genie yeah (laughs) because of a religious experience with charlie sheen but (laughs) kyle did you listen to the recent rewatchables of ferris bueller I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm saving it for a time when I can really sit down with it. So this is so, uh, Daniel, I don't know if um, 
you've ever listened to this podcast, but they watch old movies and they and they just kind of talk about or not necessarily old, but movies that they consider rewatchable. Yeah. And they talk through a, a, a number of categories and they just did Ferris Bueller. So I listened to it probably three weeks ago. And it's funny that you bring up Cameron because they basically most of this episode was based on the importance of Cameron. Like that was kind of the big takeaway was how much that movie needs Cameron. And it had really never crossed my mind. That's interesting. And Kyle's Kyle's point about like the likability of, of Ferris is even for that whole podcast, a new point and a really yeah. good one. I'll have to look that up. That sounds cool. Really good. So that brings us to number one. And to me, I kept coming back to this Samwise Gamgee, uh, you know, sidekick to Frodo Baggins. <sighs> and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you Frodo's not that, unrelatable i mean because he is also forced into this situation he's not he's not like somebody who's out there and amazing and great and he feels like he's up on a pedestal and you can't reach him so you don't need that entree as much but but you know the the idea of he didn't choose the burden it got forced upon him and at the end of the books you know samwise takes on the burden you know and he makes that choice and so you know and it it wouldn't work without him at the end of the day like so to me, he he, I, I couldn't see anybody other than him for number one. I think this is an ironclad choice. <laughs> like Sam's monologue at the end of Return of the King is like <laughs> maybe one of the greatest moments in movie history. And like, I think also if you if you just think about his like his burden as a sidekick from a nuts and bolts perspective is heavier than anybody else on this list. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he. Like he literally has to carry Frodo's ass up Mount Doom because <laughs> he can't he can't just carry the damn ring. Nope. He doesn't end up dying, but he sacrifices his life to do this for Frodo and for the people of, of Middle Earth. Like he's com- he's a completely different person at the end of this journey. Yeah, they don't they um, don't show the months of PTSD that he probably. Has. No, and and we talk. You're talking specifically about the movie version, but like go to the book version in the scourging of the Shire. He. There's not he doesn't come back to anything. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Like his his arc, he, he like goes through so much shit. Like he has to he has to stay with Frodo even when Frodo's being a total dick. <laughs> um even after he picks fucking Gollum over him like two times. Oh. Like <laughs> a lot was asked of Sam, like arguably more so than Frodo and he he comes up in spades. Like he's he's the best sidekick for sure. Yeah, I think loyalty for me pushes you up the list pretty high, you know? And, and I think some of these, you know, characters like Dr. Watson and Sam, you know, that it's like they get treated horribly at times by the <laughs> hero and, and, and they, you know, but they remain loyal. And so you got to yeah. like give them props for that. That's what the kids these days call you the ride or die. <laughs> Sam is your ride or die sidekick. <laughs> so where do we go gents? What's yeah, Mike, where are you going to beat up my list? Cause I want you to. <laughs> Mike, who do you who do you think warrants inclusion? I'm going to I'm going to rattle these off, but I'll I'll mention who I think like should really be considered. Um so I'll start with ones that shouldn't really be considered. So <laughs> Twister from Rocket Power is a <laughs> terrific sidekick. He's he's terrific on a lot of levels, but he's especially great cuz he is the cameraman. Like he's it's true. there's a couple episodes where he gets a little bit jealous and wants to be the star of the show. But he's pretty selfless in letting Otto, who's kind of an asshole, always be the star of the show. So Twister is a great sidekick. (laughs) I think Mini-Me probably can't be on this list (laughs) because he's too ridiculous. But Mini-Me is absolutely fantastic. Um, (laughs) Another one that can't be on this list. But I want to stand in as as sort of a, a proxy for all of the great bond villain sidekicks is odd job like there's there's a whole sub genre of villain that's the henchman like right. odd job is such a great henchman and a henchman i think is is subtly different than a sidekick maybe but it's actually a really important trope that comes up a lot and while it's ridiculous at times it's fun so odd job is is a big one um, similarly, sort of the evil assistant is Igor, so Doctor Frankenstein's assistant, who importantly is not canonical, but is from I think the the Bride of Frankenstein or something. But um, 
like another sort of cultural touchstone. Couple ones that I think, <laughs> what hum? You know, yeah, I know one hum that might be <laughs> worth kind of really thinking about would be Dwight Schrute from The Office. I think he falls into a true like he's a pretty true sidekick, particularly in seasons like one to four. Um, so so assistant to the regional manager Dwight Schrute. <laughs> I think Donkey, who I it was the character I was referencing when I mentioned Dory. Donkey is a fantastic sidekick and really kind of makes that movie. Depending on how you look at it, either Scooby or Shaggy, I'm not really sure which is the sidekick, but one of those two. <laughs> and then two sort of uh, actual live action film ones that I love, love, love. Cliff Booth. Um, I, I think Cliff Booth might seriously be considered. So the Brad Pitt character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I, I might seriously stump for that. And then Walter Sobchak from The Big Lebowski. <laughs> that is a good one. so i so i think as i look at that i i would be pretty i think scooby or shaggy probably don't quite fit because they're more of like compadres but i think that walter cliff donkey and dwight should be you know kind of floating around that list and at least considered fair enough those are great cool. picks yeah what do you think kyle in the realm of superhero sidekicks um cap and bucky in the comics bucky is more of like a boy wonder type sidekick than he is in the movies um and i'm just partially where he's completely useless and still yeah. don't understand all the fanfare like when he shows up on screen and all of the ladies go yay i don't get it i mean sebastian stands a babe but sure but bucky's kind of dumb <laughs> yeah um ant-man slash the wasp yeah. um you i think like evangeline lily i sure do um <laughs> Rocket and Groot, I think Groot basically is just like a, a modern version of Chewbacca, but one that I really like. I have, in that same vein, I have 3PO and R2. Ooh. Because they're like, it's you could argue that 3PO is kind of R2's sidekick. Like R2 <laughs> I kind would of, argue that. Yes. Which is interesting because like 3PO is the one voicing R2. I don't know. They're vague. I'm like, I can't tell if I'm serious about them or not. I um, might like. I might be serious about that. I kind of. I really like that. In the guy in the chair vein, I have Ethan Hunt and Luther from Mission <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> I just really I like love Big Luther. Uh, let's see. Um, Bugs and Daffy. I think they're kind of. I don't know. They, they're not quite. Si like Bugs has like kind of his own thing, and Daffy yeah. like has his own thing too. And but... the, yeah, they're kind of rivals, and sometimes yeah, yeah. So. that's true. Bugs is tough because he's just such a dominant personality. Yeah. From the Lord of the Rings, we this is a very pro Faramir podcast. <laughs> um, but Faramir and Boromir don't spend enough on t like time together to actually be considered like a sidekick combo. Yeah. <laughs> Um, from the Nickelodeon archives, Ned and Cookie from Ned's Declassified. Oh, great call. Uh, obviously, Clef, the boy chin wonder, um, sidekicking to the Crimson Chin. Oh, I forgot Cookie. <laughs> from video games, this is interesting because it's like sidekick, but also mentor kind of relationship is Sully and Drake. Um, Ooh. Who, I'm sh who oh, no one, not enough people play Uncharted to... For, to be serious, but that's yeah. a good one. Um, also, Fox and Falco, or you could say Slippy from Star Fox. I would like, this is a very anti-Slippy pod, and I'd like <laughs> it to rate, so. Fox and Falco are a good, a good combo. Not quite serious enough. Two that I'm very, very serious about are um, Maverick and Goose. Ooh. Like, Goose, Goose is like the greatest wingman, literally, of all time. And, uh... I think they probably actually deserve a spot. And then the other one I'm serious about is uh, Samuel Tarley uh, with Jon Snow. Oh, because there you go. I think Jon doesn't get anywhere in that in, in the Night's Watch without Sam, his trusty friend, by his side. Those are the two I'm serious about, Samuel Tarley and Goose. Okay, I want to actually just mention two, not for a serious consideration, but two that I just want to mention. Um... One is uh, Hastings from the Hercule Poirot uh, collection. Mm. He's not he's not there enough, but he's sort of like a little bit of a spoof on um, on uh, Doctor Watson. Um, and then the other one is the one that I'm forgetting. Right? Oh, where the hell did it go? I just googled something and it just came up. 
I googled top 10 sidekicks and there was one that came up that I liked. Hold on. Pretend I'm saying things. Please hold. Pretend I'm saying things. Where did it go? Never mind. Pretend I said nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait. Felix Leiter. Felix Leiter. In the books. In the books, Felix Leiter is a little bit more of like an actual sidekick to James Bond. That's a good one. Yeah. Cool. Uh, but But not totally serious. So you... So you like Kyle uh, Goose and Samuel Tarley, yeah. And I think I wanna I wanna stump for uh, Walter and Cliff. <laughs> and I am I just haven't yet seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, so, really? Yeah, I know. So that's not hitting me yet, but you know. I, well, it's, you it's interesting because it's a story. It's basically a story about a uh, has been and it never was. <laughs> and what I think kind of part of the lesson is it's almost better to be a never was than to be a has been because Cliff, uh, the the character I'm talking about here is the yeah. never was. And he's a lot happier than Rick, who's on his way down as a has been. Right. And Cliff is just infinitely patient and sympathetic and just really cares for his friend is just he's he's a great caretaker he's one of the best movie friends i've seen and he's a really important sidekick because the rick character quite literally could not wipe his own ass without (laughs) cliff like he just can't do anything i'm eager to see it i've been i feel like i've been burned by a couple recent quentin tarantinos of like like (laughs) you got like 75 percent a really cool movie with good dialogue and then the last 25% is let's make this as violent and gory as possible. And I just... To I, be it, clear, this movie sort of follows that <laughs> blueprint, but I would argue in a way that works but much better. Good, good. No, I've heard good things. It, I definitely want to see it. Well, it it contributes to the movie, whereas Django, yeah. it's just like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. And in Hateful Eight, it's a, kind of a disaster. Django, yeah. Django, it's a little bit of like a distraction from an otherwise great movie. Hateful Eight, at least for me, was like, all right, this kind of sucks. Like to me, Quentin Tarantino at his best is uh, in Glorious Bastards when they're down the scene with where they're down in the bar. Um, it's one of the best movie scenes, like sequences I've ever it's seen. It's just it's so well written and so tightly put together. Like I can just watch that scene and be happy, you know. But yeah, I, you but you you feel like when you watch some of his three hour <laughs> epics these days, he's like chasing that and he loses it somewhere along the line. So anyhow part of the problem here is i just like don't know where i would i'm comfortable trimming your list i think arthur is kind of low-hanging fruit just because but because i haven't seen it but it's hard to it's hard to remove something that i don't know anything about no and it's fine i i'm I'm fine like i was looking over and i was seeing him as potentially being a soft target (laughs) i hate to say it but i kind of think chewbacca might be uh, another one we could take out here if we have to he, uh, as I said, he got on the list to me because of the strength of Han Solo. So, you know, in that regard, like, yeah, he's he's a little tougher to argue for on his own. I would I would also say on the sort of vulnerabilities uh, angle, Harley might be a little vulnerable, but I'm willing to do it on a on a technicality and say that perhaps too much of her appeal comes from her work as a romantic interest. And I think that that's a little bit of a distinct role in a story. And I think her sidekick appeal is maybe overshadowed by her appeal as a romantic interest. I think that's fair. Especially, and I say that especially with the the ulterior motive of trying to make a little more room. (laughs) Well, if we're trying to make room for four here right that's what we're well we don't have to i i'm willing to drop walter and and put walter as an extremely uh (laughs) strong honorable mention i think walter suffers because he doesn't (laughs) serve in any function in that movie other than (laughs) to be a fucking hindrance to the dude he screws everything up for the dude (laughs) walter (laughs) um that's true i okay so in that case I'm i'm sorry can i just just for the audience just picture him dumping the Folgers can of ashes out into the wind. Just do it right now. If you want a quick little giggle, just picture it. Oh, Donnie love bowling. Donnie um, love bowling. All right. In that case, I, I think that your top three, 
probably like your top five is hard to yeah i to agree. quibble with i or top four at least i don't know about willow like i, I would be I, willow can I would move be back on the list if we need I'm comfortable with Willow there, though, because while we were talking, I was doing some Googling, and it sure seems like uh, public consensus is in favor of Willow. And since Kyle and I can't really argue against, and we trust your judgment, I think we should leave the top five intact. Okay. In which case, if we're moving, if we're taking Chewbacca out, I'm, I think of the ones that we've listed, I think Goose is the- Totally agreed. The greatest of them. And also actually kind of fulfills a, a reasonably similar story function. Yeah. yeah yeah that's true and 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 goose deserves i mean and goose made the sacrifice i mean goose died which is rare on this list so you know he's gotta he's gotta get some brownie points for <laughs> for dying <laughs> yeah. i actually might feel comfortable moving ned down to 10 and andy richter up to seven okay and then slotting our other two additions in with eight and nine kyle i'm I'd be happy with that. I like, um, I think I would put Samwell at eight then, and then Cliff at nine. I agree. Uh, What did you have Samwell for? So we have, this would, this would have Andy Richter at seven, Sam at eight, Cliff at nine, and then Ned down at 10, which I think given the resumes for Andy and Sam, like they've just got more more reps than Ned does at this point. I could be I could be convinced to put to flip Cliff and Ned. Sam Tarly does some incredibly heroic shit in his own right, like facing That's down true. his complete asshole father. <laughs> and at least in the film version or the TV version, saving the entire realm um, by reading a book that nobody else kind of read. <laughs> so like, he's He's incredibly important. Also having a bunch of conversations that happen very quickly, kind of off screen and but like reveal the secrets of the universe and whatever. Um, Samwell is, is a BFD. <laughs> Sounds good. Also, also don't forget he did sex. <laughs> he did do sex. Very important. So, <laughs> don't forget that. Gives hope for nerds out there everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> George he pulled the McLovin. It's in. <laughs> so should we recap? Yeah. Does that feel? Are you comfortable with the I'm, reconstruction we've done on this list? I'm very comfortable with it. We'll see if I get it get it right as I go through here. So we've no, got, you nailed it. So we've got we've got number ten. We've got Ned Leeds, sidekick and friend to Peter Parker slash Spider Man. Uh, mm-hmm. So nine, we've got Cliff Booth from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, so then eight, eight is where, see, I knew I'd mess it up. Uh, who'd we slot in at eight? <laughs> it's our fault for, that was Samuel uh, Tarley, right? That was yes, where we Grand Maester. Samuel Tarley from, uh, Game of Thrones. Seven, Andy Richter, uh, sidekick to Conan O'Brien. Six, uh, six is where we put Goose from Top Gun, sidekick to Maverick. And then we go into five, Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Four, Hermione Granger from the Harry Potter series. <laughs> Three, Doc- Dr. Watson from the Sherlock Holmes series. Two, Cameron Fry, beloved s- sidekick and friend to Ferris Bueller. And one, our boy, Samwise Gamgee, carrying Frodo Baggins up the mountain. I can't carry it for you. <laughs> now, who is he doing it for? Is he doing it for the Shire, his old gaffer? <laughs> Man. Oh, wow. wow. Daniel, you really brought the heat. This was a fantastic <laughs> list, and you really did it justice. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Glad to be here. Uh, thanks for coming. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Um, this will, I hope, not be the last time you're on here, but you have put a back-to-back performance for the ages. This is a just as just as much fun, if not more, than your uh, initial offering. Well, I'm glad to have some de- some debate in here and some other perspectives. Awesome. Well, um, obviously, then a big thank you to you for expressing interest and giving this the attention that you clearly did. We appreciate it. And normally, this is where I also thank Kevin McLeod who we have given props to already this episode, but he deserves them even more so for check the out Stanky his Wikipedia Not Top 3 page. music. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> uh, 
So thanks, Kevin, for that. And also, obviously, thanks to my sister, Erin, for our artwork. Um, that's really good stuff. If you want to see more of Erin's stuff, it's all on Sant- or it's all on Instagram at Santdesign. And a, a special thanks to our social media director, my fiance, Caroline. She actually had a great post this week about how uh, in quarantine, podcasting is really just a way for grown men to, to have actual in-depth conversations with each other. It's very, it's very <laughs> on point. Uh, so thank you to her for her great work. Check out our Instagram, especially, which is top10km on Instagram with the 10 spelled out T-E-N. If you want to send us an email, tell us all the ways that we failed you or tell us that you would like to permanently replace one or both of us with Daniel. That is top10km at gmail.com with the 10 also spelled out T-E-N. And if you love our social media stylings and you want to check out Caroline's other work, you can check that out on cml.photos on Instagram. Finally, I'm sure you're listening to us on some sort of listening app, but if you're looking for another one, we're on all the major ones, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. So, gentlemen, that's what I have to say. Well done. Thanks to you all. That was a good deal of fun. Yes. Arrivederci. Peace.